Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'm Bradley and joining me this week, he asked me to define what blind panic actually is in visual form. What I don't think he meant was for me to spill a fresh cup of coffee all over my computer area going into a mass panic because I was worried it had gone into the computer, over the table, into the plug sockets below and everywhere while drastically trying to clean it up. Is that what you wanted me to do, Stu, or was you after something more of a verbal definition? Yeah, so I think verbal probably, but computer area, is that just like a euphemism for, you know, something a bit personal? I, 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 I wish it was, but no, I spilled a literal cup of coffee over a literal computer table, well, table with a computer on it and now i know why you must have feet or risers on a computer because thankfully it went under the computer and not into it you have to cover it with some sort of rain mac or an umbrella or something really because you know now that we're at home more often working from home and stuff and all of that they're just going to be covered in all sorts of fluids and not just those kinds of fluids not not the randy marsh fluids oh yeah no not them (laughs) (laughs) Talking of fluids everywhere, video games have fluids in them sometimes, possibly, maybe. These are getting really tenuous. That's that's terrible. (laughs) But if anyone ever wanted proof that we don't practice these, they're not scripted, it's the fact that we can't even get a decent segue out of it. Sometimes barely get a sentence out. Yeah, well, yeah. It's just words in it. So, oh yeah, video (laughs) games. What have you been playing, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What have you been playing? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've been playing with some uh, playing with something. Oh no, let's not start off on that foot. We've already done the Randy Marsh thing. So I've been playing a game that does have an unusual name. Uh, I've been playing Crisis Three, which is only unusual in that it has a Y instead of an I. In fact, Crisis has two I's and it's one Y and one I. See, this is just making things needlessly complicated now. Anyway, so <laughs> Crisis Three came out like eight years ago. And no. Crytekka, yeah, yeah, crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I know, I know, I know, it's bananas. Uh, the, you know, there's people out there playing games who were like toddlers when it came out, and that just doesn't make any sense to me, because to them it would be an old game, which is bananas. And yeah, yeah despite the same it... same as my son tells me that Lockstock, no, Snatch is an old-time film. Oh, uh, well, okay. Yeah, I mean, he's wrong, but, you know... <laughs> But, but no, yeah. that's what you. When we were growing up, you know, something that was made in the early seventies or early or late sixties, we'd think of as old films. And, yeah, you know, yeah, we were right. It's Twenty so years, he's right. Yeah, it's it's a long he's time. Not, yeah, yeah. So Crisis anyway. Three is an ancient retro game now. Yeah, yeah. So retro game Crisis Three um, is. I really, really like it, and it it was in a very funny space when it came out. It kind of it got slated a bit for not being long enough, which I think is bananas. Uh, it got slated for being more about ideas than about level design, which again I was like, "Don't we want new ideas?" Mm-hmm. And it was slated for not looking, not performing great because it was really pushing stuff, but. You see, that's what you want from a crisis. Well, yeah, I want stuff pushing the boundaries, and 
my obviously your PC nowadays is going to have no problem with it, even though the game looks absolutely fantastic still. You know, it looks really, really good. It is indistinguishable from a modern game, really. Yeah. There's some lighting effects that nowadays they'd probably try and do real-time and volumetric, but it was they were so far ahead of the game. And I think what happened... I, I, please do tell me if I'm wrong, if you know. But I think because Crytek got swallowed up by EA, that that just totally put them on the back foot and they've done very, very little with that existing engine since then and you know they've they finally got their ip back off them and they've heard you know rushed out these the crisis one remaster which wasn't great and then they reevaluated and they've brought it in-house to do crisis two and three remasters and there's a, a leak that there's a crisis four on the horizon so that made me really really happy because crisis three is like basically uh, an FPS, but with a predator mode as well, where you can just use a, a, a bow and arrow and mm. shoot fools. And I think I've mentioned in the past, you know, it's got that feeling a little bit of Tomb Raider, the, the reboot. I think they kind of nicked the idea of that kind of insta-kill stealth stuff with a bow and arrow from, from Crisis 3. And it's just, it's really great. It, it's really well designed. Uh, the levels can be a bit kind of a little bit boring with corridors just leading to them. But there are some more open areas in combat with some good AI. And it does enough to make it really stand out. And it's not as good as the first game. The second game I liked, even though it wasn't massively popular in retrospect. But I really like the third one, more as a sort of technical exercise than anything else. And it's just, it was really good to revisit ahead of the remaster, which for me will be pointless, but I'm hoping people invest in that. And then maybe a, a Crisis 4. So yeah, it'll a good one to go back to. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of, um, I think we're seeing re-releases, remasters at the moment, which are being put out to test the waters. The Quake remaster, Crisis remasters, I think we've had Bioshock remasters, Metro remasters. Um, I think we've seen some. I think there's a Metal Slug is getting redone for the Switch as we speak, or it's just been released, not the tactical based one, but the original Bang Bang Shooty Shooty one. Yeah. So we're getting all these sort of like remasters happen, I think, to test the waters. Alan Wake's another one as well i think um remedy is it remedy it is remedy isn't yeah. it i've got got the ip back and uh, remastering that so yeah i think that's what we're seeing with crisis crisis 4 i would i don't know if i want to see a fourth in the series i would be happy with a reboot or another story within the crisis universe but as you said with with crisis 3 it is indistinct it's indistinguishable from modern shooters and stuff like that unless you're really really looking for it you have got to be really sort of like going in detail and going ah see look that texture's not quite as good as the textures in this latest game because at a glance and just playing it it still looks wonderful I, i haven't played it recently but i've seen it in motion recently and yeah, it's I I like yeah. Crisis Three. I I did. Um, I think I even though one is better, um, I think I had more fun with Three. Yeah. yeah, I I can totally see that. Yeah, because it is more of a it was more in line with the FPSs of its day, uh, whereas obviously Crisis was really far ahead of of them. Mm. But it adds a lot of 
really accessible stuff. I don't mean, sorry, yeah, like accessibility options. I mean, it adds a load of gaming accessibility to the to the suit and things like that. Yeah, uh, makes it much more likely to use the abilities. And if you think that, like, not long after that, uh, I think it was not long after. Or was it before even? But it was around the era of Bioshock Infinite, which, mm. you know, for me, and we'll come back to it because it's a very good, important touch point on something else I've been playing. But for me, you know, Bioshock Infinite completely failed as a as a game in terms of fun. <laughs> yeah. I thought its story was good. I thought it looked beautiful. I thought the physics were all right. But in terms of moment-to-moment combat, it was just, I just didn't enjoy it. And... You know, Crisis 3 does not have that. You know, there's so many options. There's all the suitabilities, how they blend with one another. There's there's sprint and, and slide. There's cover options and lean. There's, you know, iron sight zooms. There's it's just like everything packed in there, but without it being overwhelming and also working really well with the pad. And even today, there's stuff that doesn't come even sort of close to how well it handles. So, yeah, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I think the only game since that I've had as much fun with is probably Titanfall 2. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, with Crisis 3 especially, if that was a standalone game and I, they they had called it, oh, army guy kills a predator and nixes uh, powers, that would have been a fun game. That's It could have been that. Um, and it's a game that I, I always felt that it wasn't a bad Crisis game. Um, you know, you sometimes talk about games like, oh, it's a bad Splinter Cell game, but it's a good game, or it's a bad Hitman yeah, game, yeah. but it's a good game. I think with Crisis 3, it's a good Crisis game, but an even better standalone game. I think, it, yeah, I think it's held its own. And I think that people are going to rediscover it in a really yeah. pleasant way when they when they invest in the remaster. So I hope that the remaster you know, comes out at a fairly low price. Yeah. Bundled all three together at 20 quid would be ideal, I think. But we'll have to see. Yes. Yeah, we'll talk about remaster pricing at some point because I, I just to touch on it. You can't charge full price for a remaster of a game someone's possibly owned already four or five times over. Yeah, yeah. So, but I understand they've got to make their money. Um, but I think if you find the right price point, you'll get the true idea of whether people want a new game in that, that particular IP, yeah. whereas I think too low, people will just get it because it's really cheap. Too high, people will ignore it because it's just too expensive to play again at that price when they can only play something like Crisis Free, a great version of it, a really, or even just a good version of it on fairly low-end spec computers without spending out any additional. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what will come from yes, that. Yes, no, that would be really good. And also, while we're on it, on the subject... Gorilla, you need to do a remaster of Kill Zones and put them out because, you know, that needs another entry in the series. So, yeah. Yes. Maybe put it on the PC with your PC releases, yeah. Sony, you know. You, you know. you know you're looking at Microsoft going, ah, yeah, we've really got to start putting more on PC. Yep. Um, so do that. Do that, Sony. It's good. It's good. Actually, it's good that you've been playing big titles because I won't throw out a place when I speak about my next one. Go on. It's massive. Honestly, this game is absolutely massive. It's called Toem. You've probably never heard of it. Called what? Sorry. Because it's a Toem. Toem. It's an indie game. Right. I'm going full hipster. 
T O E M. Okay, full hipster. Cool. Um, it's an indie game. You've probably never heard of it. <laughs> no, what you've got is Toem is a minimalistic photography game. Is probably the easiest way to put it, and it's everything I want in an indie title. Absolutely everything. It's experimental in all the right ways. It's a game that lasts maybe four to five hours. It's quirky. It doesn't ever outstay its welcome. It's got the right amount of game mechanics in it. And it understands how to tell a story. So essentially, I don't want to say too much about the story because, again, it's one you've got to experience. I hate telling the stories of a, of, a, of what's in a game in terms of story modes. But you kind of take on this role if you're helping people around this, like um, these different little towns and villages or cityscapes or whatever. And they're like black and white drawn type things and all very minimalistic. And you've got to help these people by using your camera. And you go, oh, they go, oh, thanks. And you talk to them, you learn a bit about them, you learn a bit about where they are. And then you move on to another location, rinse and repeat. Um, but the stories are lovely, really lovely. So there's like one where there's these like these ghosts who are having trouble with things. You've got to help them. You take photos to help them, maybe like and maybe prove they exist and, and things like that um you get this story and the story is maybe about three hours in total the story going through all the things but you can go back to the levels and just there's those little mini challenges in there as well so sort of it's like i'll oh, take a photo of this or yeah you know, can you see these sort of things so you take all these little photos you start off with these basic camera commands like zoom in and etc you get minor little upgrades that help you take different photos and it's just so well put together. But what it doesn't do, and now one of my favourite photography games is Umarangi Generations, which I think is a fantastic photography game. Yeah. But the one critique I had of it was it's a bit finickety in places. So it's like, oh, take this type of shot. So you take the shot and it doesn't score you well because you haven't quite got it almost pixel perfect in a way. Yeah. And this doesn't do that. It doesn't score your shots. You just go, take your shot are you doing it? And then you can you take your shot. But it also encourages you to have fun with the camera. Go around, take selfies of yourself and just enjoy having a camera in this minimalistic space. Um, I think I cracked through this. I had a good good day of vision a week or so ago. I was in, under embargo um, before I could talk about this. Well, I didn't talk about this last week. I had a really good day and I thought, I'll give this a go. And four or five hours later, I went, oh, I've done absolutely everything. Nice. And I don't want more. I don't want any more. But I don't feel I've been shortchanged. Yeah. It was just perfect. Absolutely perfect in its length and what it delivers. And just what an experience. I played it on the Switch and get it on the PC. I don't know if it's on a, on the other consoles. But honestly, if you've got a day, not, not even a day, if you've got a few hours spare, you will play this. You'll complete this in a in a day. Um, if length is your thing, then you're not going to get that. But if you're just after a really good contained experience that does exactly what it needs to do, Toem is, oh, it's sublime. Absolutely brilliant. Right. Yeah. So first off, perfect length and really delivered for me. Title your sex tape. And secondly... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I check in my notes. It looks like it's very because um, it's high contrast because it's black and white. Mm. 
was that white? Did that cause a lot of problems? And does it need more of an accessibility mode, do you think? So, no. I mean, again, I'm not going to lie. I played this on a good day. But I didn't find it overbearing. Even some games I've tried to play on a good day, it's overbearing. I've had to take a break, look away, try and refocus, struggle with bits, ask for help and, and stuff like that. I didn't get that with this. I think the high contrast works because where there is a lot of white, it actually breaks it up really well with the blacks that go with it. Yeah. I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't feel the need to check the accessibility, accessibility settings. Um, so I don't know what it's actually got, which is pretty, I suppose, uh, this is why I don't do review reviews as such, because it's pretty poor on my part not to suppose to check that, but I didn't feel it needed it. It didn't hinder my experience of it. It, it just worked. Again, I, you know, could one argue, could, could there have a button, could you have a button to invert the colours if you've got a really bright area or something? Maybe that could be something, but on the whole, yeah, it was perfectly playable. It was really enjoyable. And as I say, even in the really bright areas, it was enough that I could still see what I was doing and play the game pleasantly. Excellent. Yeah, no, it sounds really good. And it certainly looks the part. And there's a a, a thread, a sort of, you know, a kind of, what's I don't know what you'd call it really, but a zeitgeisty thing of pleasant games, you know, that are nice, that have you doing, mm. you know, they're, they're kind of like, I guess, Animal Crossing, but, with a far less focus on work and more action, yeah. more focus on action and action only being, you know, interaction and kind of, you know, a, not a gimmick, but, you know, a specific type of thing like taking photographs. But I was thinking of that and, and chicory that I want to buy as well. You know, the dog's tail. Yes. One. Um, I want definitely want to get that before the end of the year because I really want it to be good and then stick it on my games of the year list. I've got like a, mm. a bias towards it already. Um, but yeah, no, I really, I think it's a good trend and I think that kind of duration is perfect, isn't it, for for that kind of experience. Mm. Oh yeah, and to say, I've played short games before where I've gone, I want more. Yeah. And this isn't one of them. I don't want more, but not in a, oh, I'm done with it now. I finished it, I looked back and went, Oh, everything's done. I am so satisfied. And you said it's like one of those games. It's, I mean, it's no, it's not going to shock you to hear. I first came across this on the Wholesome Direct. It's one of the Wholesome games that they really promote through. So, again, it comes under that category. It's just pure wholesomeness. Oh, it's just, yeah, lovely game, lovely game. Cool. Nice one. So, next for you. Well, not a game as such, but I, I want to talk about it. I, I've been doing a... a yeah, part of my project with old systems because I'm getting them, getting them in, playing the games on them I want that are, that require the actual hardware and their peripherals, and then you know hopefully selling them on. And I've got one that I not selling on because it's my original Dreamcast, Ooh. and I just I did a few things with this week, uh, ordered some bits for it, and also did some stuff. So I did some retro brighting. Uh, on the bottom half because I was say what colour what colour is it at the moment <laughs> well at the moment it's yellow because I have a yellow case <laughs> so I have a, I have a, ah. a translucent yellow top half of the case which is it's, so it's not looking like a scouse girl who's been to the beds hasn't been to the beds for a couple of weeks yeah yeah no uh, the bottom half was looking pretty rough and uh, no, I've fully retrobited it and it looks brand new now which is amazing and it makes such a difference even though it's got like a yellow top half, you think that'd offset it, but no, that that kind of horrible p- 
pea yellow colour <laughs> that you get when it's uh, sun faded is it's gone. So that's great. And I got a new PSU for it. So a new power supply because the old one's like really inefficient and mm. runs really hot and can burn out and stuff like that. So new one in there and ordered some other bits for it. And I've got like a, a HDMI box for it and stuff like that. So yeah, I just had really good fun pulling it apart, tarting it up. Oh, I also did the fix for the thing. Like there's a fuse that can blow when you like take controllers out and stuff like that. It's really yeah. stupid because it can kill your entire console just just by you know one fuse blowing. So um, I replaced that with a a self healing fuse that you know resets itself after like ten minutes, and also put a new battery in so it retains the time and stuff like that. So yeah, it's uh, just really really nice, and it's nice to get it working again. And I got all the bits on the way that I'll talk about in future, but. Yeah, getting a, a an old console and putting new bits in it, I think is now it's it's more common in a way now because you can like put new hard drives in stuff, you know, upgrade them. You can put, you know, the M2 drives in and things like that, and firmware updates come along that improve the experience. And you can still do that with old stuff, but it's more of a mechanical process. And it's just nice to do it so that they're up to date and you know that they're not going to explode in a a ball of flames any moment. So with the Dreamcast, for me, that is still the one console that's brought the arcades into your home because it was the last generation of arcade games look better than console games, mm. I think. Yeah. So your Daytonas, your, your Sega Rally, stuff like that. Can you put MAME onto um, a Sega Dreamcast? Because what I'm thinking is if you could have all your MAME 2D, very, you know, 70s, 80s, 2D stuff on there. But you still got the top Sega classics. I mean, everyone only really cares about the Sega 3D games in the arcades mainly anyway. So you've got your Crazy Taxi with original soundtrack. You've got your Sega Rally, your Daytona, etc. I think if you could have that Dreamcast box with main running all the old stuff, plus your Sega Dreamcast conversions of arcade games... You've almost got arcade perfection just in a little white, well, white and yellow box in your case under the, <laughs> under your TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's not the ideal selection for that. It's not really very highly powered by today's standards, and you could probably get main running on it. Uh, but yeah, you're probably better off using something else to be honest. Especially as the controllers aren't great, and getting hold of them isn't even that easy. So yeah. stuff that, you know, it's more boring, but, you know, you'd be better off like using the case and, and sticking a Raspberry Pi in it or something if you really wanted to. Uh, is but, there enough room in there to put a Raspberry Pi in there as well? No, not as well. You'd have to gut it. Yeah. 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 Oh, tower of power it is then. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, it's... Create, create your own tower of power. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, just put a load of spaces in where it screws in and you'll be able to stack them up. But um, yeah, no, it is a, it's a fantastic console and it it was such a shame that it only lasted such a short time. And it's unbelievably short when you look back at it. You know, it was like, it was 99 to, I mean, it's glory days in inverted commas were about two years. And a year of that was a lot of it taken up with Japanese exclusivity and then, you know, eventually the power release. So it just, it lasted almost no time, but delivered but I, so many good games. 
That's it. I can't think of a console that had such a short lifespan yet delivered banger after banger after banger time after time yeah. and broke the mold. Fantasy Star Online and Quake 3 Arena just alone broke the mold in online home gaming for me yeah. on a console. Yeah. It really uh, did. And it wasn't bettered. PlayStation 2 didn't better it. You know, Nintendo didn't better it. And it had to take until the 360, which I would argue is the actual spiritual successor to the Dreamcast rather than being the actual spiritual successor to the original Xbox, really is what took that and ran with it. And, you know, Jet, Jet Set Radio, you know, I, I did Shenmue, you know, whatever people say about Shenmue, it was groundbreaking at the time. And, yeah, what a console it was. What a console. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a ton of games on there that, that I still play, like, genuinely love that have not really appeared anywhere else so like cosmic smash and cool cool tune mm. and uh you know loads of stuff like that and there's loads of shooters for people who are into shooters so yeah absolutely fantastic oh yeah, yeah. all the all the uh light gun games and everything that were part of it as well yep yeah and oh yeah it was it was just great so and type in of the dead is the only console you can properly play type in of the dead on a console because it had yeah. a keyboard, official keyboard and everything. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. It was so ahead of its time. It really was. I know. And they, they picked, you, you, yeah, they packed so many games into that short period of life as well. So, I mean, that could almost be that. I mean, that's almost should be the Sega sort of motto. Ahead of its time, released at the wrong time. I know. Because everything they did seemed to be ahead of its time in what they'd done. I remember they was the first to really do digital down, like. It wasn't digital downloads, but those satellite games and stuff like that on the Mega Drive and stuff. I know it was only in Japan and stuff, but they done that in a way that hadn't really been done before on console. And it's part and parcel of what we do now via like digital download games. And oh, yeah, we've got to do a full on Sega special. We really have. I know we spoke about this many moons ago, but yeah. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm obsessed with them. Um, maybe one for the hundredth episode that's. Mm. it's it's 15 episodes away but it still feels like it's around the corner so maybe that one is it next year that starts oh, i'll let you no. do the maths on no, that you're asking. We'll, we'll reveal next week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so have you been playing anything else oh well, yes i have <laughs> that's a silly question <laughs> um so i've been playing as will be no surprise another indie game that people may not have heard of <laughs> is a night at the races which is a indie game that really doesn't do what it says on the tin. I don't know what I was expecting from a night of the races, but based on title alone, I went, yeah, go on, I'll give that a go. And what you've got here, and I really don't know how to describe it. I don't know if it's a point and click adventure game with a speed platforming meta game inside, or whether it's a speed running platformer with a adventure game point and click shell um, okay so <laughs> uh, right so essentially what you've got here is you take on this role with someone they're having money issues so they enter this competition to sort of play this game to try and sort of like win fame fortune money that sort of thing he's got this story around it and you click through and then you kind of get taken into this like this this like platformer puzzle, speed running puzzle platformer type thing. So akin to like Super Meat Boy, M Plus, Celeste, that kind of platforming type thing going on. 
And then you have to run these levels and you go onto these leaderboards, you get high scores and the idea is to be the best and you get money and you you, you, you win through and stuff like that. And the story side of it, I kind of, it was, it was all right, but I didn't really care too much. But it done enough to give you a reason to play the, these games. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you've got this whole game within a game thing and you go, it's all right, but I don't think it'd stand on its own as a game. Yeah. Yeah. This is the opposite. You play this game, like this fake game is called No Berry Left Behind. And essentially, I mentioned, uh, the reason I mentioned M Plus, Super Meat Boy and Celeste as a whole is it's very reminiscent of those games. Very basic looking, super fast, super precise um, of Meat Boy. I say the basic looking nature of M Plus with, it feels like it's got some of the movement of M Plus, but more Meat Boy. But then there's like the dashing abilities and stuff like that of Celeste. And the levels have got that that kind of feel of Celeste difficultness that's not just about where platforms are. And um, I was playing it and I was just really enjoying the platforming section. And I'll, I'll come back to something, a thought I've got on that on, on, in a minute. But overall, what the game does really well, it's got like 200 levels in it, which is enough for a game on its own. Um, it's these 200 levels and what's really good, you can either attack them all and make sure you beat them all, or you can kind of skip levels where you see fit to progress the story. So well done on that, because it's brutally hard at times. It's got in-game leaderboards, out, out of, like real-life leaderboards, and that feels like it should be the game, but it's like this is like some kind of fake in-universe game only. And I still can't get my head around why they had to do the adventure bit, because the adventure bit, whilst it's okay, distracts from the wanting to play the platforming section. Yeah. And just, so I, I kind of looked at it. I kind of played a lot of it. I haven't finished it yet. So maybe there's going to be, do you know, like Pony Island, when you get to the end of Pony Island or Superhot and it does this whole blah, reveal type thing. You're like, oh, right. Okay, I get it now. I'm still not quite sure what the adventure side of it is for. So maybe that will come down the line when I finish it. But I, I kind of looked at it when I got to a point and just went, okay, what am I going to say about this? The platform is really good and it apes M+, Super Meat Boy and Celeste, but it's not as good as those. And I was looking at it going, why, why is it not as good as those? And I can't find a reason individually why it's worse than M+, why it's worse than Super Meat Boy, why it's worse than Celeste. Because it takes the right elements from each of those games, it becomes its own thing. And honestly, if they had released No Berry Left Behind as a standalone game, I think it would be such an indie darling now that it wouldn't be a game people haven't heard of. Right. I think it would be sort of up there with those. Honestly, I can say, oh, Celeste does this better. But I'm trying to think of what does Celeste do better than this? The story? Sure, but it's not a story game. What does Super Meat Boy do better than this? The difficulty? Well, no, because, you know, both are challenging and I want to complete both. What does M plus do? You know, the collect that you have to collect these things to get to a gate, which is why the M plus comparison's there. Does M plus do it better? Not really. M plus as a package doing just that is great. But does it do it better? No. And yeah, it's, you know, the game is called A Night of the Races, but I, I had to make notes that I referred to it as A Night of the Races and not No Berry Left Behind because... 
that platform it's just absolutely sublime wrapped up in a so far mediocre adventure game that feels like it's not needed right yeah no that is unusual isn't it yeah yeah it, it makes you think well what were they thinking of you know did they think that there wasn't enough content in one and they needed the other or you know were they two separate projects at one point and they merged you know it's it's kind of yeah it's a bit of a strange decision so, really. yeah i mean no i don't think that's the case i honestly think this is their core idea that they wanted this meta game or this this fake universe game that you go to and it's um like I've played other games where they kind of uh, what was it called that one where you take two cartridges and put it in a special machine it merges them into create this game I can't remember what it was called but you do that so you've had this what Sonic Sonic Three and Knuckles no no not actual cartridges like it was a game based around it oh. it was like this really retro looking arcade you like you owned a game shop and you had to save it and you got this mysterious console and you kind of plugged in in there within the game not not Sonic Three and Knuckles I mean Sonic Three and Knuckles with other games would be amazing like Sonic Three and Knuckles but you plug in Afterburner that yeah. could have been a thing anyway anyway I'm going off tangent. But it feels like they they designed this. We wanted this fake meta game in there that you play, and it's part of the whole universe, and that it fits together well like that. But I do think at some stage it would have been cool, and I don't want to crap on anyone's ideas or or visions because again, I haven't reached the end, so it might have this big blow up moment where it just all makes sense but if it continues how it is, part of me's going surely at some point someone could have gone, should we just maybe not do this section and concentrate on this section but it doesn't feel like they're just tacked together they feel like they are still part of like it was all designed from the ground up to be like that but in my honest opinion one side of it went much much better than i think they ever expected it could be right yeah oh okay so i mean overall then is it is it worth people checking out or is it too oh god yeah oh okay no, no, no. The bulk of it for me is the platform. You spend more time in the platforming sections than you do the adventure sections. So the bulk of it, as I said, I don't know whether it's an adventure game with platforming as part of it or whether it's a platformer with a point-and-click adventure as a shell. I still couldn't tell you which one it actually is for me because it's presented more like it is the adventure game and you do the platforming as part of the adventure game. But the platforming is just so damn good. But yeah, Night of the Races, I wholly recommend giving it a look, even as a curiosity. Oh, okay. Right. Mm. Well, complete opposite to last week for me so far, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that that kind of, I don't like that kind of platformer. I, I just find it too difficult, but um, it does it does sound like a good one if you can get around the... See, I, I, I like them when the levels are short and sweet, so you can just go at them, go at them, go at them. And Celeste Checkpoint, in for example, is perfect. That's difficult, but you don't ever go, oh, I've got to go back through this whole on section again. Meet boy. They, they, they've got the balance right, and this is what this has done. It's got that balance right. And the fact it's got a skipping section, you could not a skipping, that would be weird, but you can skip any level you want just to progress the story. So, you know, they, they've, they've thought about all this as well. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that option very much needed for me so any more from you well yeah kind of a quite a big one Ooh. because i've been playing death loop i know that name why oh yes of course yes sorry i'm thinking of loop here i was like <laughs> oh okay but no death loop yes yeah, yes a little bit the microsoft owned sony exclusive that's the one yeah a little, little bit bigger than loop hero 
Yes. So, yeah. So it's a funny one. So, I mean, yeah. Question is, like, why did I buy it? Because that's not normally something I do. Because I normally, like, wait till they're 50p, you know, several years down the line because I'm just like that. Mm. Well, because... Or when it's on Game Pass next well, exactly. year. But <laughs> the, um, the reason was because I have a dual sense that I, I've talked about that I got for Christmas last year. Yep. And I use frequently on Steam because it's just really comfortable and the sticks are really precise. But this game fully supports all of its haptics. And I was like, yeah, I, I, you know, being a kind of, you know, cutting edge kind of a nerd and liking to mess around with the newest stuff, I was like, yeah, 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 I'm getting this. Because I was fairly interested in the game anyway, mm. after seeing, you know, early reviews saying that, you know, it does something, you know, a bit more unusual. So, yeah, I thought, oh, I'm going to go for it. So, for, you know, just to bring people up to speed and describe it without spoilers too much. So, you can talk about obviously the title because the title gives away a lot of a lot of what you do. Mm-hmm. So you kill people and it, you're in a time loop. So yeah, there you go. Can't spoil what's already in the title, really. And other than that, it's got a lot of elements that are obviously very similar to Dishonored, as you'd expect, being from Arcane Studios, and also linking into what I was talking about earlier. Bioshock. Mm. So not only does it have a kind of thing where you're dual wielding, but often the other thing is not a weapon. Like you can dual wield um, a device to hack stuff, for example. You know, and that's an ancillary kind of thing that you can do. But also it has really, really poor, um, really, really poor enemies enemy drawings like the the artwork on the enemies is so bad i, I it's a stylistic choice mm. because they they always go for like simplistic looking you know uh protagonists and antagonists in their games but i just don't think it works in this thing it looks really ugly and, and sticks out because the backgrounds are amazing yeah the graphics in general are just absolutely stunning and what they've done that's clever is because you're on an island and you're going to see the same places frequently it's packed them full of detail and items and colors and shapes and stuff that was really really memorable and it's done in a kind of faux 60s 1960s style like we happy few that game that came out that was rubbish yeah and no one lives forever and that's really where comparisons end because there's hardly any video games that actually use the 60s as a backdrop it's a bit kind of shagadelic like austin powers i guess but without being you know over the top Mm. and yeah i mean so far i've played about an hour or two of it and so far it's interesting so the combat's not really clicked with me yet although it's okay it's not bad but the mystery, the central mystery of the game is very good. And it does a roguelike approach to it with using the time loop. So you don't everything that you have doesn't necessarily carry through unless you survive. So yeah, it it's it's an intriguing one. It's got a really strong atmosphere. It's got a really excellent design that stands out. Like I would say it stands out even more than Dunwall did in, in Dishonored. And yeah, it's it's really quite an intriguing thing. And the important thing, of course, is the dual sense, those haptics. Oh my god, it's the first time I've ever played a game with the proper haptics, and it is amazing. So like 
it rumbles in time with your footsteps so a little kind of jolt on each step um it's got like force feedback and resistance on triggers like on your guns yeah and each one has you know a different vary like a proper variance and also you know jam- when it jams the trigger won't move <laughs> It's really, really good. Nice. Such a small thing, but really immersive. So, yeah, with that and with the kind of intriguing mystery, uh, it, it's got a solid thumbs up so far from me. So, I know you're talking about the game, but I don't care about the game <laughs> as, as it stands. Um, you spoke because I want a dual sense. I do want a dual sense controller, but. It was all the stories of not, you know, games on the PC. They do the rumble, but they don't do the actual haptics. Um, well, where where do things stand with using the dual sense on a on a PC? Is it just plug and play like a um, Xbox Series controller, or do you need like extra software like you used to have to have for the dual shot? So it only works proper, I think, at all through through Steam. So Steam and yep. specifically Steam Big Picture Mode, mm-hmm. uh, which which loads up the uh, the joypad configurator that you know is is built into Steam, and will be a big part of the Steam Deck when that comes out. And it automatically any game that supports pad, it supports in the way that you said. So it all works just flawlessly, and regular Rumble just works. Yeah, as a generic as pad, a generic yeah. pad, but. More specific, a little more specific than a generic pad because some generic pads they won't pick up the rumble, yeah. So it picks it up with the same feature set as it has for an Xbox pad to that level, so that's good. It will support all of the haptics, but they have to be programmed in. So at the moment, there's almost no games with it. I don't really understand why, unless it's complex to do, I suppose. it... It might be, but they've got that driver, obviously, with it being a Sony exclusive, lol, um, that you know, yeah. they might as well make it compatible on Steam. But I'm guessing if it's easy enough and they've created a pack that they share, I don't know, in the gaming community, the development community, that we'll start seeing it on more games. I think it's only Metro Exodus, other than this, that supports it fully. Oh, right. uh, I'm not interested in that game at all. Um, but it, it, oh, wow, yeah, it's superb. Yeah, it's the, uh, honestly, it's the one thing, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, like, any of the real Sony exclusives. They're too big for me now. They last too long. And I can't get into them. The controller is what I want. I, I, I You know, I can't justify, well, you can't get them anyway at the moment, but I can't justify 500 quid on a console just to try out a controller properly. So I'm hoping that we'd start seeing more games supporting it. Or hopefully, I don't know, maybe the next Microsoft Elite controller might I reckon might have haptics unless yeah. it's unless Sony have um managed to what's that thing called that you do with all the laws, not copyright. Trademark? No, what's that thing you do when you come up with a new invention and everyone sues each other for? Oh, patent. Patent it, yeah. There we go. Yeah. That's the word. Whether they've patented it, I don't know. But oh, if there are games that do support it and more come out. I might have to try it because I can't again from a different point of view to you I can't wait to see what an indie develop, developer does with it because they will do things you can't even think of now yes, with it yeah. and so whereas Sony get these ideas you know I, I really love the idea of like the little speaker um, in the in the uh, in the DualShock 4 
and worked really well with stuff like Resogun. I thought it was really, really good. And I thought they could introduce that in the um, NHL games where you get coaches speaking through the speakers and the actual game sounds from elsewhere and stuff like that. And they never really ran with it. So I'm hoping with the haptic stuff, they really run with it and it does become the next big thing in game controls. Yeah, it's interesting because it does bring so much to the table in such a small form factor comparatively. Mm. Um, I mean, I was I've had experience with it from the controllers with the the Oculus, the Oculus Rift. Um, yeah, but they they the only way that they use them is to show where your fingers are, which is useful, but it's not mm-hmm. really a game thing. And I think that that's been because they couldn't really work out how you could integrate it. You know, there was a very very early game that was you, you cast you cast spells as a wizard by describing them in the air with your hands. Yeah. But I I'm guessing that they just realised adding the haptics where your fingers are shown and you know you can be specific was probably too intricate. I don't know, but. It was interesting, but it wasn't really capitalised on. But yeah, this really takes it and run with it. And there's like there's the really basic thing of pads needing to have the the underside buttons. I don't know what they call them, uh, the ones that go where the grip is, and uh, they're really handy. Yeah, and you can't help thinking that and haptics are going to become you know bog standard going forward. I would hope. So. Yes, it, yeah, you you'd hope so because Sony haven't. I feel bad saying about it. They haven't innovated. I mean, even though they are the innovators of the controller with the uh, original PlayStation DualShock uh, where they bought analog sticks, they've not really innovated as much as I would have hoped beyond that. The six-axis was an idea, and they kind of went, ah, no, we'll bring the rumble back instead, and others kind of done it better in the end. You know, I think they even done it better in the Vita because I really like the uh, gyro aiming in that, and Nintendo have done really good gyro aiming. Microsoft brought out the rumble in the triggers and had the better triggers for that. But haptics does feel like a game changer. You know, I, when it drops in price, I might give Deathloop a try um, with a normal controller and see if I can uh, get Lucas to find out if any of these mates have a PlayStation 5 and might be willing to lend him a DualSense to practice with. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can't wait to see what it's actually like. And it's good to know there are PC games that allow you to do that. Yes, and there will be more. Um, when it comes to the control the thing with the um you know using things to their fullest and stuff like that especially with using gyro aim now what i I never liked that and it never i never caught on with it at all i just found it too fiddly and i really didn't like it Mm -hmm. and i found especially with the the way that pads are laid out are just so that your hand it works with your hands whereas something like the wii u remote was specifically so that you could point it at a TV. And I think that, you know, having something that controlled like that was fine, but it didn't it didn't work for me in a pad. And it also depends on your dexterity. And the thing, the reason why I think that the haptics thing is much more likely to become a, a standard feature is because it, it doesn't require any extra skill or effort. It's just better feedback. Yeah. It's just a way of providing more sensation to the player. Um, and I think that's definitely going to, be one of the deciding factors. Although, you know, long-time listeners will remember I made a point months ago that I don't think this should this stuff should be in the standard controller at the expense of the quality. I said there should be a bog-standard one that's like a, a DualShock 2, 
that is completely mm-hmm. reliable. You could smash against your kid's head all day and it would be working still by the end of the day. And they charged you three times as much. So like for a DualSense, charged you a hundred quid for one that was, it did all the things that a DualSense does, but it doesn't have stick drift and it doesn't have a fragility to it. And it will last you a lifetime, you know? Um, and I think that's really how they should do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I totally agree. I, I'm up for sort of like different tier quality. You know, you can risk paying less money for something that could be susceptible. You know, it is made with cheaper parts, but it is more accessible for prices to, you know, high quality based things. Um, see, what I really want to see in the in the, uh, the dual sense and the haptic feedback, again, is from the accessibility point of view that if I'm playing a game where I'm like it's a 3D game and I've got a wander in places and I can't see exactly where I'm going due to vision issues that you know I can feel that if I'm brushing past a tree or something you can feel that in the haptics yeah yeah or you know you feel almost like you if you're going downhill you almost get a feeling that you're going downhill in the haptics and stuff like that all little things like that I think will be again really good for accessibility and that's what I'm hoping to see most from these and that's where Okay, when I talk about what the indie developers can do with it, is that's where I hope they they take the lead. Is going right. What can we actually do to help disabled gamers get more from the game? Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's a really good uh, a good way of doing it. Um, anything with that kind of sensory feedback, superb idea. Mm. Yeah, really futuristic. Yeah. So I've been playing one other game this last week or so, and. Um, do you remember when I spoke about indoor lands and I said, what's, you know, in your, your sim management games and that, we've done all the outdoors, where's next? And we went, oh, it's indoors. Yep. So city builders. We've done all the big city builders, done all over Earth. We've been into space and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Where do you think we can go next? Planet core? No, we go smaller. Ah, uh, in the microverse, right, yeah. Yeah, we do. Which is what the the uh, the idea is behind the game Tiny Topia. Lovely little game. This again, one I played, not expecting much from. Went into it not knowing much about. But essentially, what you get is I don't want to say a simplistic city builder, but it is at the same time. You've got a really simplistic economy within the game, but it's got all the stuff that you'd expect from a city builder. So you know, um, having to manage population, taxis. Um, disasters that kind of all those things you'd expect from like a sim city a city skylines transport fever that kind of thing except it's done on a really small scale it's like you're playing with a toy set um and to give you an idea you've got some levels that take place on like a moving record player um others that take place on like a bike pedal um and like it's all they're all taking place in what looks like this like this child's bedroom when you zoom out it's got that aesthetic and everything looks toy like and it, but it's got everything in there, so connecting roads and putting in buildings, and it's just really nice to play. And you've got this like this t- twenty odd levels that you go through. So it's level based, but it's twenty odd levels. You've either got this complete sandbox style levels, or you've got these like physics challenges. So there's this one one section, for example, where you've got to build a city on a balancing ruler. So if you start putting too many buildings on one side of a ruler, it starts to tip. So you have to put others on the other side to keep it balanced. On the record player one, you've got to kind of place buildings on this record player so that they don't all fly off and there's enough support in different places. 
and that's on like the little challenge levels but on the uh the main levels it's still like your very basic city builder but it looks really really cute like there's one do you know on sim city where godzilla attacks yeah. sometimes <laughs> yeah so you've got godzilla but he's this little wind-up toy godzilla oh no nice. and it just wanders through you wanders through your village it, again it's not doing anything new or special but it's just lovely and it's so small as well and it's oh, yeah, i really love it and what's going on? it's got this like the mechanic of leveling up buildings is really good now i was trying to think there's a a game that was uh, a series of games that came out and i really can't remember what they was called um i, I want to say toby fox made them but i might be completely wrong on the name but where you'd get oh uh, you have to place a tree and then you place another tree you place another tree and then they turn into a heart you build tree 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 heart tree 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 heart and then you merge the hearts and they turn into a house you merge the houses they turn into a school or whatever stuff like that i can't remember what though that game was um, i used to play it on ios many years ago but you kind of got this, I suppose it's almost like this 2048 or threes style mechanic where you put a building down, like a, a level one house. And to turn that into a level two house, you have to put another level one house next to it. And that creates a level two house. And then if you want to build it to a level three, you need to get another level two. But you have to do two level ones to make a level two to create a level three and so on. And that adds a really interesting mechanic to it because it, it feels almost puzzle-like in that sense. And it's not complicated. You don't look at it and go, ooh, that, that seems awkward. How am I going to do it? It takes out a lot of the rules of city builders. You haven't got to worry about where your buildings are facing. So they haven't got to be facing the road or facing in certain directions. You just kind of plop them down and it works. Again, you have to think about, like, there's buildings that create jobs. So you've got to make sure you've got enough residents. But you've got to make sure you've got enough jobs if you've got too many residents. And, and that kind of thing. It's all the trappings are there at a slightly simplified level to make it accessible and just enjoyable to play. Um, again, I've not got all the way through. But every time I've played this game, I've lost a good few hours to it. Because it's just so satisfying to play. It's got a really nice soundtrack like you plop stuff down and it feels clicky it almost feels like you're playing with toys yeah and oh yeah it just works so well it's just honestly it's a, it's an interest it's just a basic city builder that's thrown the concept into it but rather than just being a skin of the concept they've lent into it really well and yeah just a nice enjoyable game not the best city builder i've ever played nowhere near the worst it's just a fun distraction game that sounds really good yeah i, I mean the, i love it when they when they play with scale and dimensions really really well and i think yeah you know some of the some of the best ones are like um well obviously katamari damasi that's oh, really really yeah. cool uh, it's very very difficult to iterate on that without losing the purity of the original idea absolutely magnificent game though so much fun yes and what was the other one i was thinking of that uses oh pikmin yeah pikmin uses scale yeah. i mean technically it's just an aesthetic thing but i don't know something about mm. the fact that you you're a micronaut is yeah really engaging you so i love that kind so of stuff it doesn't crop up enough the only thing it made me think about with it is the special idea of building on things that you know are real size and, and stuff like that was there's not enough Land of the Giants games. Let's make a Land of the Giants game, shall we? Right. In what kind of way? Just, I want to see, like, the idea of doing like something like Tidytopia, which is brilliant, but a more enhanced city builder, but you've got to build it 
in a world where people of like our size exist or, or a borrower's game or something like that that plays with that scale more i just that, that aesthetic just really resonates with so me. like um that um, you would be the the smaller size and you would have the to tiny yes for the cope with the bigger people yeah that's a really good idea in yes. fact you should just like copyright that right away because that's a good idea i don't know if i've ruined the 1960s tv series land of the giants for anyone at all but <laughs> i don't think so <laughs> like, yeah. uh, because it it was quite obvious that yeah that they was just in a normal world yeah no, I can imagine. <laughs> I think you've probably surprised me. Someone's going, oh, I've been saving that one. <laughs> oh, my granddad recorded all those onto Betamax for me. Oh, no. Oh, I just chuck them oh, in the Oh, Brad, you threw in Land of the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. God damn God, you. God, now you're going to the, the, tell me the plot of Geordie Racer, aren't you? Oh. God damn you. Oh, boys from the black stuff. Does he get the job? I don't know. <laughs> oh my god, that would be a spoiler <laughs> and a half. <Ugh>. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so that, but yeah, no, that's all from games from me. Yes, yeah, no, that's everything from me. I mean, I dabbled in a couple, and there's I, what I really want to pick up Mini Metro again this this week and, and talk about it next week. Mm. I really want to try and make some progress because, like I say, I'm just a complete dumbass who has no idea what to do, and even like going through it several times and iterating I, it still doesn't make me any better at the game so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to put some serious time and thought into it and see if i can get better yeah so i'll talk about i'll, I'll join in with you see my biggest issue with mini metro is you can't create a circle line and that really bugs me that's the one thing they need to add that you yeah. can create a proper circle line yeah 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 it's end to end Yes, yeah. We'll talk about that next week because that's definitely something I picked up on. But yeah, we'll we'll definitely talk about that. <laughs> that's going to be the weirdest of rants from someone on a game that's, what, seven, eight years old that yeah. probably most people don't care about anymore. So you tune into this show for the up-to-date news on uh, disappointments with modern games. Ah, oh, screw the listeners. What do they know? I know. We, 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 you play Deathloop. Exactly. Yeah, that's we're modern. modern. Yeah. That's about as... That's about as recent as you can get, isn't it? I think it's the most recent big release. Came out yesterday. I bought it on the day of release. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So at least people listening back will know when or be able to look up when this podcast was recorded. And also with me saying that, if I've got the date wrong, I can't be proven wrong. So, you know, that's perfect. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. I, so I'm dragging this on because I've got nothing I really want to talk about at the moment in terms of mental health side of stuff. I'm kind of like, to let to let everyone know this. Usually we usually record on a Thursday. We kind of hit a routine of recording on a Thursday, but I completely forgot. Made an appointment for Thursday, so we've had to rush this one into the Wednesday at a day's notice. But this time, fingers crossed, I've got my op which should be done by the next time we recall. That's on the Monday. My birthday, my 40th birthday is on the 18th, which is the Saturday. So I'll be older and wiser, older by the next time we recalled. I might be blinder, who knows? But yeah, that that's all. That's all coming up. So yeah, it's a weird weekend of emotion for me. Um, I think, was it last week I spoke about that I'm actually looking forward to making it to 40 for once after believing that I just never would make it when I was younger. It may have even been the week before, but yeah, no, I remember yeah. you talking about it, yeah. See, I couldn't remember if I spoke about it on here or whether it was just something I was going to speak about and it was still in my mind. Oh, I yeah, yeah. Know. Yeah, you did talk about it on here, uh, yeah. 
I've planned, and I'm going to say this as well because then someone will remind me and go, where is it? But I'm planning on doing a not going to bother stew with it until it's finished, but just a straight speaking to the mic bit about my history of ADHD. Uh, well, I'm just going to go and go and go and go and Stu can edit whatever he needs to do for me. Um, and that'll be either a one-off special or depending how long I talk for, might do it as a series. So Stu will probably break that into about 500 different episodes um, because apparently I can go on a bit. Didn't know that. But yeah, it's an ADHD look into my brain special that's coming up and said Stu said... We've got a hundredth episode coming up. If you've got any ideas, let us know via the Twitters or whatever. But we're going to start planning for that. So far, the Sega special is is the one that seems to be there at the moment because we wanted to do that before. So it'd probably be a Sega special. Definitely. Um, Definitely I'm hoping, there we go. Stu, you spoke. Thank you. I was I was going there, go, please speak. I'm into a I'm, I'm going. I need someone to stop me. So I'm gonna be quiet now. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, uh, I I think the Sega thing should definitely be a part of it. Because then that gives me an excuse to to play a load of Sega games and watch a load of YouTube videos uh without having any kind of oh I should be playing something else. So that's good. And also so if Mel like- goes, What are you doing? You can go research, innit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'd also like to do some sort of a top 10. I've got a couple of ideas in mind that I won't spoil. So definitely that. But I think we'll make it a, like a bumper, double length episode type situation. And yeah, mm. see see where we go with it. So yes, a lot going on with you. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm sure I speak for the entire listenership when I say that I hope it all goes really well. And we'll be following along to make sure that, you know, everything is fine. And uh, yeah. And can they sew his mouth shut at the same time? <laughs> Just, you know, as a favour to the wider world. Yeah. Do a death, well, what was it called? <laughs> Deadpool from uh, yeah, yes. the crappy Deadpool one, the Wolverine Origins thing. If they can give you like massive blades at the same time, that would be quite cool. Keep the kids in line. The can't the, oh the can't kill me thing can't actually die. Yeah, yeah, no that'd matter be what. Yeah, or just give me some of Ryan Reynolds' money. That would do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ryan Reynolds, if you're listening, you can support me on Ko-Fi. <laughs> Uh, he, he might do he you might never do. know I mean, he bought Wrexham yeah I know he yeah. bought Wrexham oh, so God. he might listen insane uh, madman if anyone supports Wrexham and you can get hold of Ryan Reynolds just send him the Ko-Fi link I was dry- we were driving back uh, from North Wales home and uh, going via Wrexham by the side of Wrexham and it, there was a huge Wrexham sign like printed on the hills and I was like why the hell have they done that and my wife just went Ryan Reynolds yeah, see, right, there was a, did you hear about the actual story about that? About the football club, yeah. Yeah, everyone assumed that Ryan Reynolds and um, Rob McElhenney had put that sign up as a big stunt. Turned out it was nothing to do with them. It was nothing to do with the club. It was the the conference league sponsors done it as a stunt instead. Ah. Um, but yeah, everyone just assumed Ryan Reynolds and Rob, Rob McElhenney had got a bit too big for their boots and wanted to show off their star power. Yeah, yeah, that's what we assumed, but... Anyway, yeah, no, there's nothing to do with them. There you go. I defended your honour. Okay, so now Ryan Reynolds, you definitely have to do. We'll we'll sponsor. You can sponsor the show, Ryan Reynolds. Okay, you can sponsor the show. We'll wear Wrexham tops. We'll support Wrexham. Just just putting it out there. No, I'm from Chester. I can't wear a Wrexham top. I'd get murdered. So I'll wear a Wrexham top. 
I don't Fair care. Enough. I'll I'll sell out with enough money, Ryan Reynolds. Basically, give up anything for the money. But yeah, I'll yeah. give up anything for the money. You can have my kids, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. You can have both of them. Yeah, exactly. Let's see if we can get that dirty cash. But whilst we wait yeah. for that dirty cash to roll in, I hope that all of you at home or wherever you're listening are having a good week and that you stay safe and stay sane.